Welcome to Making Things Right, an invitation to restoring LGBTQ plus faith. I'm your host, Brian Nitzel. If you're tired of the debates and the division around faith and sexuality, if you're interested in more productive ways to engage and solution together and bridge divides between Christian and LGBTQ plus communities, then I think this is for you. So welcome to the table and welcome to Making Things Right. Oh my, the final episode. What a journey it's been. Amazing stories and productive conversations in pursuit of healing and reconciliation. And I've never done a podcast. (laughs) I think I'm getting the hang of it and now it's over. Oh, well, I'm sure maybe I'll do some others, but it's been quite a journey. Uh, Today's episode, part two of One Table. Differing perspectives, but all with a common cause to make things right with the LGBTQ plus community. And I hope that today I and we, we want to help you figure out what is your unique part to play. I think we can kind of stay stuck in the conversation sometimes. And this is about action, about engagement, about finding how you can help make things right. And I think that we figure that out better together. And I realize that I'm being an optimist, I'm an idealist, um, but that's what I believe. And, and just for the record, I absolutely respect any hesitations on various sides of this conversation. I think about my Christian church friends that are a little more on the traditional side, and you have very deeply held beliefs at play here. Can't afford to get this wrong, and I entirely agree. And to my LGBTQ plus friends, you very may well have been wounded by the church, and you're not really interested in repeating that. So I get it, and I invite you to bring all your hesitations and all your stories to the table, and that's for you too, guests, Uh, because I think at this table is where we all get together is where we find empathy, is where we find understanding, is where we respect each other's differences, and we find common ground on what matters most, things like healing hurts and righting wrongs and reconciling things that are divided. Those are the things that are easy to agree upon. And that's what today's episode is all about. So today, I have three true thought leaders. I know it's a fancy word, but you are. You're like leaders of thinking in your own spheres and true friends uh, that have joined me. Each one brings their own perspectives and experiences and connection to either the LGBTQ plus community or the Christian church, or actually both for all of us. Uh, And each one is moving the needle and having impact in their own way. Now, today is a little unique. It's a panel in a podcast. It's a little complicated. There's lots of voices, um, but uh, you can't see their wonderful faces, but we're gonna, I'm going to try to set things up here to help you know each one before we kind of get into the meat of our discussion. So let's do that. I'll get this going, uh, and let's do some proper introductions. My first guest today is Alan Chambers. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. Let me uh, introduce you a bit here. Uh, 12-year director of Exodus International. I think I got the years right. Uh, which was the largest ex-gay organization that serves individual or that served individuals with unwanted same-sex attraction. And in 2013, uh, you and your colleagues shut it down, uh, issuing a wide-ranging apology to the LGBT, LGB, there's a lot of letters there, LGBT, <laughs> queer, to the queer community for years of undue judgment. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of what, how did we originally connect? Was it just through this, or what was our original connection, Alan? I, th- you know, I think it was when Renovus was beginning, yes, and yes. you called and said, hey, I think there's something that we'd love for you to be a part of. It was after I'd spoken at um, the Parent Connect at North Point. Yep, yep. And uh, we kind of slid into a friendship that way. Yeah, that's awesome. And for those that don't know what Renovus is, that's a, you probably heard about it in another podcast, but it's, a, it's an organization uh, that I helped found that helps LGBTQ plus folks discover their faith uh, in Jesus again. And uh, just, you know, just tell us a little bit about you and, and kind of why you're here today, Alan. Well, I'm here because this is my life. This yeah. is what I'm passionate about, really helping the church um, come to an understanding of people more than an issue. And, yes. you know, as growing up, in a Southern Baptist tradition, uh, being gay, growing up in that tradition, and really feeling uh, the weight of that my whole life, and then being a part of Exodus, and um, all that that was about, um, 
coming full circle to a place of of really trying to figure out how to reconcile all of these things together. That that's why I'm here. There's there's an ongoing conversation. It's not a debate for me. It's not an issue for me. Yes. It's people and conversation, and it's lifelong. And mm-hmm. so I love being a part of this. Beautiful. Thanks for coming today. Appreciate it. My next lovely guest next to me and good friend, Sandy Harmon Waldrop, right? Yes. You have a beautiful three-word name, so I always want to get it right. Sandy Harmon Waldrop. You're welcome. Uh, what I love about you is your balance. You have a clear commitment to Jesus and the church, and you have a deep love for the LGBTQ plus community. She's a very active part of the Atlanta community. You're stand-in mom for many individuals that are not welcome in their families. And so many of my and our friends appreciate that. So welcome, Sandy. Thank you so much, Brian. You know, it's so interesting when people talk about me being a blessing to them in this community, because every day I realize what a blessing this community has Mm. been to me and my relationship with Jesus and the path that it's taken me on and where I think it's going to take me in the future just to continue bridging these relationships. It's awesome. Just a little known fact, I happen to be getting married in a few weeks uh, to my partner, Dan, and Sandy is hosting the our wedding reception at her beautiful home. And she won't like let us plan anything. She's like, I got that. I got that. I got that. <laughs> it, we feel lucky to be part of it, Brian. I mean, I think opening our home has been one of the ways that Jesus has led us to serve the community um, at large, but specifically yeah. those who have touched us deeply like you have. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for being here today. It's going to be fun. Pleasure. And my final, uh, uh, last but not least guest, uh, kind of a new friend of mine, uh, Justin Lee, a phenomenal bridge builder, a very popular book and memoir, Torn, uh, was written with both the LGBTQ and the conservative Christian audience in mind. Uh, love that balance. Not an easy one to strike. I'm, I'm giving that my best shot. <laughs> and you had a really cool follow-up book that I just read. I haven't read this one yet. Sorry, but I just loved how you set it up, talking across the divide and about healing our divisions without sacrificing our values. Just beautiful balance. So thanks for being here today, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah, excited yeah. to join this conversation. I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah. So just give us a little snapshot of you and kind of your heart for this conversation. Well, to make a long story short, I I grew up um, in a very conservative Christian home, um, very devout. uh, A classmate of mine nicknamed me God Boy when I was in high school because I was (laughs) the kid who was always passing out tracts and trying to witness to everybody and didn't... I, you know, my, my heart was in the right place, but I didn't really understand why people were so resistant to hearing what I saw as good news. I mean, the gospel is good news. And, uh, and what I understand now is that I came across as very preachy, very know-it-all-like, mm. um, which I didn't mean to, and that turned a lot of people off. And what helped me to understand why that didn't work was when, as a teenager, I started to realize that I was gay, which was something that I did not want to be. As a good Southern Baptist boy, I thought, you know, yep. being gay was a choice. It was a sin. It was something I wanted no part of. And when I started to realize that I was gay and I, you know, and I didn't know what to do with it, I I found myself in the midst of this debate, really, in the church that mm-hmm. I had not sought out. I didn't know where my place was, and I and I wrote a little bit of my story online and started hearing from so many other Christians mm. who were really just heartbroken because they were going through this, their loved ones were going through this, they didn't know what the answers were, they felt like just to even say, I have questions about this, was enough to cause controversy yeah. in, in their circles. And so um, I started working to find ways to bring people together and mm. ultimately wrote a book about it. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for joining us. And thank you all. So I posed two questions to all of you uh, in advance to consider. And how we'll get this started is I'll just ask uh, each of you the question and to share your thoughts, and we'll see where it goes. Like, I think the la- in episode one, I asked one question, and we talked for an hour. <laughs> so I may not have to prompt you at all, but I-, I have a couple of questions in my back pocket, and we'll get it started. No perfect science here, of course, so let's just see where it goes. And thanks for bringing your perspectives today. So question one is about action. So for me, I think I said this at the beginning, but I think it's easy to sort of stay stuck in this conversation 
Um, eventually, a conversation is intended to move into engagement, into a change of perspective or a solidification of perspective or whatever. But how do we move into engagement? So, Justin, I'll give you the question first, if you don't mind kicking <laughs> us off. Sure. Um, but as it relates to the LGBTQ plus community hmm. and the Christian church, from your experience and perspectives, what are specific ways to make things right or move the needle that you think are especially important or needed? So I, my, my big answer to this is going to be something that I, I think you've probably already talked about some doing this series, and that is that I think we need to move from approaching this as an issue to really getting to know people. Mm. And I think that's not just a, unique to this particular conversation. I think when we look at society at large, what we see is that so many of us have gotten in the habit because of social media, because of politics because of just the contentious environment that we live in, we've gotten in the habit of approaching people from the perspective of where do we disagree that I need to convince you that you're wrong? Huh. You know, yeah. you enter a room full of hundreds of people, and if you could have time to talk to each one of them, you would go down your checklist and find out, okay, well, half of these people are on the other side of the political aisle for me, and then and then another group of them disagree with me on this issue, and another group of them disagree with me on that issue, and another group, you know, we we have different religious views, and another one we have different social views and what whatnot, and then we get to a place where we've taken this large group of people and narrowed it down to the tiny group that we see as most like us, and those are our friends, and the rest of them are our enemies. It's very us versus them. And I think about how Jesus would approach that same group. Jesus, I think, would walk in there and see, here's a big group of people God loves, you know, and then I love. And all of these people are sinners. And all of these people have gotten some things wrong at some point. And we see in the Bible Jesus taking time to sit down and hear people's stories and love people and care for people where they are. That is, I think, the gift that the church has the ability to bring to the world. Mm. And I think that we need to bring it, particularly on this conversation. If we can't do it here, I don't know how we're going to do it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, that's a long-winded way of saying. My hope is that all of us, on whatever side of this, you know, these questions we sit on, that all of us could approach somebody who may disagree with us strongly, and before we start talking about the issues, we could just say, let me get to know you. Let me hear your story. Let me get to know all the parts of you that are not about this place where we disagree. And then let's build a relationship. And down the road, you know, we can talk about where we disagree, but we do it in the context of a rich relationship mm -hmm. that people are so hungry for that right now. Mm. I love that. I have lots of thoughts, but I'm going to let Alan and Sandy give their thoughts first. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I listen and I, I think so much of what we see in the church, um, but also in our culture at large in society, whether they're churched people or not, um, is we're all plugged into this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're always looking for what's right and what's wrong. Um, we're Republican or Democrat. We are left or right. We are right or wrong. We're always trying to jockey our position, looking at other people and what's what's wrong or right about them or wrong or right about us. And, and I think, you know, to move the needle, to move the conversation, to continue the conversation, um, for us, especially in the church, it's about realizing that we are not plugged into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about left or right. It's not about all of these things that seemingly divide us. Um, it's not about Fox or CNN or, or any of those things. It's about, like Justin said, relationship. It's being in relationship with one another, realizing that it's not my job or your job to fix or convince uh, me or another person. It's not my job to save someone. It's not um, anyone's job to save me. Our job um, wasn't made complicated by Jesus. It was made simple. Um, love God, love people. Um, it's simple for us to get back into this conversation and this, um, this mindset of really relating to one another based on something that's, that's good, the good news, um, our, our ability to relate with one another. Not that we're all going to agree that's not going to happen, but when we get past the point of, of feeling like we um, have to constantly point out right and wrong and good and evil and all of those types of things, then I think, I think it takes us much, much further, mm -hmm. uh, where we really begin to realize 
it, it's simple just to love one another, to, to find, I, I'm constantly in big group situations and I get a little nervous thinking, okay, I have to connect with all of these new people that I don't know. And my first thought is I'm going to, I'm going to find what I have in common um, with the first person I talk to and the next person I talk to. And I think in the church, if that's how we begin to see people, um, regardless of what people they are, um, what do I have in common here rather than what's different, what's right or wrong, what's what's in common that I think we, uh, we're going to win um, mm-hmm. and we're going to be able to, um, to take something much further and find ourselves in a much healthier place as a church and as a, as a culture. You know, I, I agree with that. I think it can be a very uncomfortable situation. I know when Ryan first came out, I was consumed with fear. I was someone who had and been Ryan active. was your son. Ryan, right? Ryan is my son. He yep. came out when he was 18 years old. Um, my husband and I have been together for 15 years. We were active members in our church. We led a small group. We had a lot of friends in the community. And when Ryan came out, I was consumed with fear fear of what's going to happen to him, but then also admittedly some selfish fear in that what's going to happen with the church? How are they going to view me? Am I going to, will they allow me to be a leader anymore? And it really took over my life for a period of time. So resulted to, okay, I'm going to dig into the scripture so that when people attack me, I'm going to know what to say. And ultimately what I found out is that wasn't God's calling for me. He didn't need me to be a theologian. He just needed me to show love for other people. He needed me to share my story so that it got real for people, so that my family would know, you know what? We do have a gay person in our family, and he's not that stereotype that you may have. Now let's have that conversation about how you feel about gay people. Uh, Okay, so tell me about that transition, because in a minute and a half, you probably gave us like a five-year window of time. (laughs) Like, tell us the, not to put you on the spot with your story, but like a little before, during, and after, like before he came out, where you were at, during, and then how did it, how, how did you evolve into what you just said? So I had known the gay community for quite some time. When my son came out, my best friend was gay, and so I've, I had okay. an, I had an acceptance for it, but it was different. That was my best friend. When my child came out, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, that's when that fear that I'm talking about mm-hmm. set in. And I really did sit quietly in the background for quite some time with that. My mom passed away. And so we had to kind of put that on the shelf for a while. And I found people didn't know what to say to me. It was easy to talk to me and share my grief about my mom passing away. But no one knew how to talk to me about the grief of losing the dream that I had for my child. And I really had to mourn that at exactly the same time. Wow. And I can share with you, there was one specific moment when it changed. I had invited a um, group, a small group, a Christian group of LGBT people to come to my home and have a small group over the summer. And they came in and they started talking and I sat on the side just wanting to listen to what they had to say. And it instantly came over me that the wealth of knowledge that these people had about the Bible. Mm -hmm. But even bigger than that, was the love that they had for Jesus, despite what the church had told them. And it hit me, this is so simple. I just need to show Jesus's love. Bottom line, that's it. That's all I have to do. And it really blossomed from there, that one day getting to know those people into a series of opening my home for people in the LGB community and just giving them the kind words that they need to move forward. And then in addition to that, working with Parent Connect, walking along with them as children come out, walking with those parents through that journey and just helping them love their children well. Yeah. Tell us about uh, Parent Connect and just uh, what they do and like, because not everyone knows what that's about, but... Sure. Yeah. So Parent Connect um, is through North Point Ministries, Mm -hmm. and I've been involved in that organization. My husband and I have been for about five years. And um, when my son came out, we turned to the church um, and they said, here, here's the name of a therapist. And that was it. There were no resources. There was no one with common, a common background that we could sit down with and have a real genuine conversation about our feelings and where we were. We had to keep all of that to ourselves. So when we found out that North Point Ministries was starting this program through their care program, we instantly were drawn, were drawn to that program mm-hmm. and walking with those parents. 
it's been it's not been easy all the time. I'll I'll say that it's been very difficult at times because Part of walking with these parents is meeting them wherever they might be at the time. 100%. And some people are in a really, really bad place Mm -hmm. when that happens. But when Jesus called us to help in this ministry, he didn't call and say, I want you to help people exactly where you were. Mm -hmm. He said, I want you to help people exactly where they are. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, it's going to enrich your relationship with your child with your husband, with your friends, and most importantly, with me. And that's absolutely what we've seen. I have a much deeper relationship with Jesus 10 years later after my son coming out than I did before, and a much clearer purpose of what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. That's so great. And you it's an example of you were in the front row, your son came out. Right. So you really had to look at this and wrestle with this. It's pretty human nature that unless it's directly impacting you, it's a little easier to just let it be, you right. know, and to kind of have sort of, you know, how would you, any of you, that's sort of a little bit of the the spirit of making things right is I think a lot of us, if you're in the front row, like I, 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 I was a gay man and I love Jesus. So I had to reconcile those things. I was in the front row. Your son came out. You couldn't just blow off your son. I mean, I suppose you could, but you couldn't operate the way you did up to that point. You hit a crossroads. You had to make a decision of what you would do. We're all in the front row. How do do you compel folks that are in the second or the third or the fourth row? You know what I mean? That maybe they're not in the back row and they got their heels dug in on theology and they're not interested, but how do we compel folks that aren't in the front row to think about the opportunity or the responsibility we have to kind of heal some hurts? You know, I think it's it's been my observation that bec- this particular, I don't want to say this particular question because it's really a set of different questions yep. that are all under one, you know, uh, big umbrella, but uh, that this set of questions has become such a litmus test in the church for are you the right kind of Christian mm-hmm. and a litmus test in our society for are you the right kind of person, you know, that... The difference I see between the folks on the front row, as you say, and the folks on the second, third, and fourth row is not how strong their opinions are on these questions, but how personal their approach is. When you are the one who's dealing with this, or your child is the one who's dealing with this, there's something really deeply personal about that, which I think is part of what drives a lot of parents to say, gosh, let me look at this again, because I don't know what to do. I'm used to being able to give my son advice, and now I, my son knows more about this than I do. I'm learning about this for the first time. What do I, you know? And, I, and I've heard from a lot of parents, I imagine you have too, Sandy, who yeah. are like in that position where it's like, I, it sounds great to say, love people, but if I want to love my child well, I need to give them good advice, and I don't know what advice to give, you know? So I think... I think I'm sort of getting at two different things here. One is that I, I think that we do need to be honest when we talk about the, the need to love people. We need to be honest that a lot of folks are really struggling with to what extent does that love require taking a position and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. But also I think when we talk about those second, third, and fourth row people, I think that where we need to motivate them is not motivate them to care about this stuff because many of them already do, but rather motivate them to think about the human side. Because there are a lot of Christians who you ask them about LGBTQ stuff, and they can quote chapter and verse to tell you their position Mm. on one particular question about all of this umbrella. But, But if you ask them about the stories of LGBTQ folks in the church or the stories of those parents and what's happened to them in their churches, they don't know them. They haven't heard them, Mm -hmm. and they need to hear those stories, I think. Well, and even just to your point, Justin, on Scripture, you know, I I think there's a lot of people who can quote Scripture and they think that's their position. I mean, I did it for years, quoted Scripture and regurgitated what I had been taught and told and all of those things. And not that I didn't believe it, but there there was always some part of me that was like, gosh, if I could not have to sign off completely on the black and white of this, mm. um, then, then I really would like that because this story confuses me. This, this, this person confuses me. This issue can, confuses me. And I, I think so often 
you know, there's a lot of people on those second, third, and fourth rows who look at the people in the first row and they think they've got it all together. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to get on the first row because they don't have it all together. Mm-hmm. And they're they're conflicted about the black and white of what they read and what they've been taught and the personal stories that they're hearing or their conflicting opinion. Maybe I'm not smart enough if I knew theology better or if I was the pastor or if I was one of these activists, maybe then I could jump into this conversation or jump into the front row. But because I'm not, I can't. And and I think it's helping people understand that theologian doesn't mean you went to school um, to study the Bible. Theologian means you are, are someone who reads the Bible, who cares about Scripture, who cares about um, not only the black and white of Scripture, but the the nuance that's in Scripture and the the bigger stories, the ones that we can't explain, and the thinking outside of the box with Scripture. And, and I think if we help people, for those of us who are on the front row or on the floor of the altar or, or wherever we are, um, you know, I think if we make it more inviting to them, you know, they think they're going to get into the split screen on CNN or Fox News um, if they jump into the front row. And really what I found is that's sometimes a part of it, but more often than not, than not the front row is like the altar, like the altar call um, at the end of a service where people are standing up there just vulnerable, weeping, not sure, and trying to figure out and grapple with what's actually going on. And that's really the front row. That's really um, what we need to help people figure out, that this is a, a group not of people who know everything or who have everything figured out, but a bunch of people who are in the process of figuring it out, who believe one thing one moment and grow um, to understanding it better the further they go along. And I think that's that's really what we need to show people. This The front row isn't for people who have figured it out and who are entrenched on a side. The front row really should be all of us in there um, yeah, working yeah. together to, to try to love each other through the, the chaos and the craziness and the messiness mm-hmm. um, that really is the grace that we've all come to understand. Yep. And how do we personalize this story, as you said, right? Or how do we, if it's not our son or it's not ourselves, how do we make this thing deeply personal and human? And what what is the, you know, it's funny, so much of this sounds so good on paper, right? This, mm. I don't think, it, what are the, um, what, well, maybe I can speak, I'll give the question, then I'll speak to my own experience. What is the thing that keeps me from realizing that it is that simple to love people and that maybe this is deeply theological, but it's not about maybe six verses that speak to moral sexuality, but about the arc of the Bible and the heart of God to love people, you know, because I do think that I don't want to, I don't talk about affirming theology too much because I think it's the debate that gets all the noise. So I want to have this conversation about, okay, we can agree to disagree on that stuff, but wow, like, can we come over here and recognize the hurt and the rejection of a group of people that we can actually help make right? You know, that's my desire, but what, what is the, that sounds really good on paper. What, what are the hurdles or what's the hesitations of folks to believe that it really is that simple, that actually my theology is better by loving and attending to these things that I can help fix, even if I don't have the theology of morals figured out, like what gets in the way of folks to cross over that? Well, I think what I've observed is when we've invited people into our home, the LGBTQ plus community, is there's a lack of trust initially. They can't figure out why this is not what I'm used to. This is not what I've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. What's the end game here of you being, of you opening your home and being kind and showing love? There's yeah. got to be a hidden agenda here. Mm. And until you can create that level of trust, you really can't form that deep connection that we're all talking about here. And that's what it takes. Why did you start, you might've said this and I missed it, I'm sorry, but why did you start inviting LGBT, were they just friends of your son or why were you intentionally or by happenstance inviting LGBTQ plus folks, people into your home? 
That's a really interesting question. Um, actually, at this time, my son was away at college, so these were not <laughs> my friends that I was inviting into my home. I got plugged into a community uh, through Ori Cook, and he started introducing me to people. And the more time I spent with him, number one, I just realized how amazing they were. But I quickly realized that there was a void. When people walked in the door, I can't tell you how many times I heard people say, wow, this is the first time I've actually been in a house since mm. my parents asked me to leave. Mm. And as a, as a parent, if that just doesn't break your heart and compel you to put your arms around that person and hug them, I don't know what does. Mm -hmm. And for me, at the end of the day, that's what drives it because I know I can make a difference for everybody that crosses our threshold. Mm -hmm. I have the capability to make a difference in their life. That's such a beautiful grassroots way. We're talking about at lunch, about how do we make this really practical, right? Mm -hmm. For you, you opened your home, you know, and you and and the funny thing is that I, I'm speculating the first time you might have done that when your kid was off to college and someone you didn't really know, but you so quickly saw these individuals operate in a way that broke your stereotypes. I mean, your kid Absolutely. probably broke your stereotypes, but he was your kid, right? These people love Jesus, love scripture. Like, like you were like, wow. Like, and then from there, it's just interesting to me. Yeah. It's, it's been a fantastic journey and a, and a heartbreaking journey mm -hmm. at the, at the same time when yeah. I think back. On yeah. Cause when you open your home, you open your heart. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. But such a great practical step, you know, for you that worked, which was mm -hmm. awesome. Sandy, can I ask, um, when you started doing that, did you get pushback from people you knew, people in the church or, mm. or other folks who felt that by doing that, by opening your home, that you were sort of um, giving your assent, if you will, to every decision and every belief, or blessing, and every, your blessing to yeah. everything that, that all of these folks might might do in their lives? Absolutely. I mean, there were de we definitely received some judgment from that from fr from friends and even from some family members questioned, what what are you do what are you doing? Why would you open your home to complete strangers like that? And it definitely it changed relationships in our lives. But for us, the more important relationships were those with the people walking through our door. Was what we found. You had to make a choice. You yeah, we, and you prioritize. I mean, not that you didn't care about your family and friends that were critics, but at the end of the day, you decided this matters more. It did. It people did. people were more important than the fear. Exactly. Is like what I keep thinking. You know, so many people are just afraid, and I get it. You're you're afraid of what you're going to lose and who you're going to lose. Um, and the fact of the matter is, fear never makes us um, better at our mm -hmm. decisions. It, it's yeah. never a good impetus for making a decision and you went beyond that. And that's amazing. Well, you know, Alan, you know what it makes me think of when she was just uh, sharing that is as she was saying that I was just thinking about Jesus uh, being criticized for eating and drinking with sinners. Like that's exactly, you know, I think that there's something in that when, when Jesus talks about being, you know, being hated by others for his sake, a, a lot of times I know for me, at least growing up, I understood that passage in one way, in one context, you know, non-Christians will hate you because you're a Christian. And and that's a piece of that conversation. But there's there's something very Christ-like about saying, I'm going to show this person love who hasn't gotten love from their own family. The way that Jesus showed love to people who were the outcasts of his society and were judged, and Jesus was judged for that by the other religious folks. The other God-fearing folks who said, oh, if you really are fearing God, you wouldn't be spending time with these folks. And Jesus is like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yes. And the irony of that is so beautiful. It's like my favorite part of Jesus and the gospel, but let's unpack that. Like, why, why is it that we continue to have this conversation about, you know, that as Christians, from I don't think I'm going to shock any listeners here to say that as Christians, we have a reputation of being judgmental and exclusive. Uh, or not inclusive, just we just do, you know. But that's the literally the opposite of how Jesus operated, and it's pretty hard to read the gospel and not recognize that. So, what's the schism? What what is it? Why is it too difficult to simplify our Christianity into how Jesus simply operated? I mean, 
I think it's two things, at least two things. I think part of it is we've bought into our society's us versus them approach to things yeah. where everything is, you know, a zero sum game. And it's, it's, I've got to, if, if you and I disagree, I've got to beat you. Um, as opposed to Christ's perspective, which is about grace to all of us, because all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, but it's the us versus them. And I think the other piece of it is that I think a lot of Christians are genuinely concerned. And I can speak for myself here. When I was growing up and starting to look at this, this set of questions for the first time, I was really concerned that if we got this piece wrong, we would be getting all of scripture wrong. 100%. Yep. That it's like, I believe the Bible matters. I believe that doing what God wants matters. And I don't think that there's any piece of that that I can just discard and say, well, it doesn't really matter because, you know, because of love. Um, and I thought that to, to say I'm going to love this person in spite of our disagreement was sort of a, it was a slippery slope to saying, actually what the Bible says about this doesn't matter. And actually what the Bible says in general doesn't matter. You know, we're just going to reinterpret the Bible to fit our own, you know, our own desires and our whatever. And, and I find that today when people hear that I'm gay and Christian, a lot of Christians immediately assume that the, the only way I was able to use those two words together was to say either that I don't care what the Bible says, or I don't know what the Bible says, or I've decided to just reinterpret the Bible to fit whatever I personally want. And so even to enter that conversation, they feel like would be to demean or dismiss the Bible. And they hold the Bible in too high esteem, as do I, mm -hmm. um, to do that. And I think that's, I, I think that's where we have to be able to separate out the Bible conversation around those particular passages, which is important, and other Bible conversations that are relevant to this, which are also important, we have to separate that out from how do I treat somebody even if we disagree on the Bible? Mm -hmm. how, do, how do I show them love the way that Jesus did in a culture where so many people are just so desperate to have somebody hug them and let them, let them know that they matter? Mm -hmm. So to, to add to that, I think... Um, for us, we found the more bold we were, the more Jesus could use us. And so mm. in those scenarios where we extended ourselves, yes, there was absolutely judgment, but there were also that people reached out to us who had been living in silence for years, who hadn't, who felt they didn't have anybody in the family that they could share their news with and share their story with, who all of a sudden we became safe people for that. And so it was interesting to see those people slip into our lives and finally have somebody that they could talk with. Mm. And I think when we talk about what we can do as Christians is continue to share our stories and continue to allow ourselves to be open to those conversations about where people are. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. I think it's just, I mean, that's my point of view too, but I think it all, it's no surprise that, that, whenever I have these conversations, they go so much differently when it's led with a story, whether it's yours, mm -hmm. whether it's mine, because it's kind of the one thing you can't argue on, <laughs> right? I suppose you could argue my story, but it was my story, you know? And and just learning how to deliver those in a way that's that's um, that helps people see things that they normally don't. You know, like I, I feel like I'm sort of lucky in that I've, I've my history of my life, I've, I've been engaged in both the church community and the queer community, and I've kept one foot in one and one foot in the other because I just feel called to this crazy tension for some reason. But I get to see <laughs> on an ongoing basis the, the, the concerns and the fears and the hesitations on both sides and everything. And it's just, I, I staying in the midst of those stories keep, makes this really relevant for me. But I think a lot of us, may, maybe a lot of listeners or friends kind of live in their proverbial bubbles, whether on purpose or they don't know how to get out of it. And they're not really around people that are different than them. They don't see and experience those stories. And I, th I, th I think of the stories and hold them in as great an esteem as I do the Bible. Mm. I mean, the Bible really is Oof. just a collection of stories. Good right. word. And the right. Bible isn't just this black and white um, book that we've been handed to follow um, every cross T and dotted I. Though I'll say I believe every single word of the Bible is true, 
And yet I'll be very clear and say, I don't understand it all. Mm-hmm. And the stories are conflicting. They don't make sense. I mean, you, Leslie, my wife and I were reading about um, David and Saul and David and Jonathan and their relationship the other day. It was like four in the morning and Leslie said, I don't know. I've never, I've never said this out loud before, but I don't know. David and Jonathan, I'm pretty sure um, that there was something going on here, and <laughs> and it's you know for her to say that, and then she starts talking about um, you know David was going to marry one of Saul's daughters. He wanted to marry this one, um, but then you know the runner-up actually is who he who he was who he was going to marry, um, but he had to go and gather this crazy sort of prize in order to win that daughter. And it's like, God, Saul sounds like a real winner here. I mean, so weird. And then just going through all the other, all the other stories, you know, you, you look at um, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, and we still talk about him as the wisest man in the world. And yet he had 300 wives and 700 concubines, or maybe it was 700 wives and 300 concubines. It's like (laughs) the wisest man in the world was a complete sex addict. And, and here, you know, we're, it's full of these stories and it's black and white and we're quoting these scriptures and all of these things, but it's story. It's messy, 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 messy story. Um, and I think for us as Christians, yes, let's look at the black and white. Let's revere scripture. Absolutely. But the story and the, the, the fact that it is living, breathing, and continuing and growing. It's not done. It's continuing. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's done is Jesus did it all, and we don't have to do anything um, to perfect what he did. But but Scripture is living and growing, and it's through the stories that are being told today. No, it's not going to be written and added to the Bible, mm-hmm. um, but it is going to be written. It is going to be a part of the, the ongoing narrative that Christians tell for years, the stories that we're talking about in this conversation today. Yeah. Alan, I love it. I love that you said that because this is something that I really struggled with as a young Christian. Why is the Bible not just a set of like, here are the rules and here are the bits of theology you need? Why is it stories? And it's only been recently in my life that I've started to realize exactly what you've just said, that God God teaches us through stories because God cares about stories. Right. right. And, and God came to us in the person of Jesus. I mean, you talk about walking in someone's shoes. God literally did, you know, became one of us and lived our life. And that to me is so powerful in terms of what it says about God's interest in human beings and our stories, not just what what's the black and white right and wrong that's certainly part of scripture we right. should not throw that out right but it comes in the context of a god who's willing to live in all the messiness that is human life and say look i you know i i know what it's what it's like to be in your shoes so i have the right I, you know god has the right anyway but you know so now i have the but i have the right to to talk about this stuff because i know yeah. what it's like yeah it's and, really and really just, good just Thinking about it, you know, in in all of this, you know, it, it is a mess. And the people who are watching and trying to figure out what position they need to have on the LGBTQ plus um, issue um, and people, you know, when they're, they're sitting there, and I, I think so much of the judgment, again, going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I think so much of the judgment is I have to judge this because it's clear in Scripture it's wrong. And it makes me feel better about all the messiness that's going on inside my own heart. Mm. Um, I feel a little bit better when someone might be worse off than me. Mm. And they might not completely connect with that. But I know in my own life, it's like, I'm totally screwing up all over the place. But that guy over there, whoo, I'm glad I'm not him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the things that helps when we enter into the messiness of this, this whole conversation and the the messiness of of the lives of of people that we're getting involved in is it gives us permission to be a mess ourselves Mm. Um, and to realize, you know what, this is messy over here, but I'm messy too. And you know what? God's okay with the mess. Mm. He knew before the foundation of the world that we were a big mess, Um, but we're his mess. And it's in the midst of that mess, we're we're perfected in him. Um, And so I think that for people who are trying to figure this whole thing out, it gives them permission to love other people, but also to love themselves at the same time and to realize 
I've got something going on inside me. I don't have to figure out your stuff um, because I can barely figure out my own or I can't Mm -hmm. figure out my own. And so we're just going to get involved in all of this together and do life together. We're just going to be a community. And I think that's really what the church should offer. And it's so much more fun. The Bible is so much more fun. Um, Church is so much more fun when we realize we're just a big community of people who don't have to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. We won't have it all figured out and we can just live our lives together. 100%. Yeah, I love the, it makes me think of uh, a story of uh, of a mother that I had on another podcast series, Stacy Frenis, and her, similar to you, her her daughter, uh, your son, but her daughter came out and it just, you know, she was a conservative Christian and she really had to kind of hit her own crossroads of how she was going to love, you know, her kid well. And it was all about, she literally had to exchange certainty for uncertainty. That was like one of her big, and she made this quote of like, you know, I, I learned to live in the tension of uncertainty and to my surprise, developed a, a deeper relationship with my daughter and with God because of it. And I remember reading that in her book going, what are you talking about? But that I could unpack my own story and go, yeah, yeah, like the reason that I didn't find my peace as a gay Christian man until I was 40 years old is because I felt like I had to get it right. I didn't come to peace as a gay Christian man or come out or whatever you want to call it because I got all of a sudden certain on the scriptures that, oh, I reinterpreted those wrong. I actually am still not sure about those. If I had, you guys could do much better than me, but if I had a conversation on gay theology, (laughs) I would lose. I would lose. (laughs) But I'm okay with that because I went to the heart of the gospel and the heart of the Father is seen in the picture of Jesus and he settled that for me and he released me. I don't have to have those figured out. And I said this in the first uh, One Table episode too, I do occasionally wake up in a cold sweat, wondering if I got this wrong. And I every single time hear God say, I got you. Just lean into me. Just trust me. And now I live in a very uncertain place, uh, but am more productive uh, uh, in my life than I ever have been before. But it's not because I'm so certain about being a gay and Christian. It's about that I just trust God in a whole big, deeper way. Yeah, this whole thing is way too big for God, the God of the universe, to have allowed to rest on any one of our shoulders. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't create all of the things that we take on um, ourselves. He, he didn't create that for us. He didn't create the burden for us. He didn't create the burden of salvation of others for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist, and you learn the the four <laughs> spiritual laws, and you go on Tuesday night evangelism, oh my gosh, and the you four pray to God laws. that the people the people that you're knocking on their door are going to get saved by the end of your conversation. And then you go, you know, you go record it on your little tally sheet yeah. um, once you get back to church. It, you know, I, I came to the place many years ago where it's like, this is not my responsibility. I, I don't have to go to sleep praying every night for the myriad of people that I wonder if they're going to make it to heaven or not. It's not on me. So how did that change for you? And what is your responsibility? Like, what was the pivot for you? Because that's probably how a lot of people feel, well, like I they're supposed that, to save people. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to save people. We're supposed to um, to help them understand the right perspective. And yep. I think Get on the just, straight and narrow. And... I think God's going, oh, you guys, you guys, the worst thing that's happening on earth right now is the church thinks that they have to convince someone of this, or the church thinks they have to save people. That's not your job. It's God's job, and he wouldn't ever put something that's above our pay grade on us, and it's way, way, way above our pay grade um, to to think we have to behave and do God's job for him in anything. If if you think, I'm going to pray about this, then realize whatever you're praying about is too big for you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's God's job. So pray about it and let the prayer be to get it off your plate, mm-hmm. um, to get it off your to-do list because it's it's God's. And and the fact of the matter is it's not on his to-do list. He already did it, mm-hmm. um, to-done list, um, <laughs> really. And so I think, you know, for me, it was just, it was a, it was a process of years where, and it's not just LGBTQ plus stuff, it's everything. Um, I, I'm not worried 
I was going to say, I'm not worried about anything. I'm, I'm not worried about, <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about a lot of things. Um, I want to have what you have for breakfast. My first, my first inclination as a Christian sometimes is to turn on the news and go, oh my God, what is going on? We, we just need Jesus. And, and we do. But the fact is, if I get caught up in, in the narrative that's on TV um, or the narrative that I see um, around me, then I'm in big trouble because I've lost perspective on what my what my focus should be on, and my constant prayer and my constant thought is I've, I'm taking this off my list. I'm taking this off um, my shoulder. I'm taking this off my plate. I can't do it. I can't think like this. I can't. I, I don't have enough time in the day um, or energy or emotion to to be as entrenched in this as I have been. Therefore. God's yeah. God's bigger, and I I, I got to be good with that. And the beauty of that release is it leaves you with nothing to do but love people, love people, and which is what it, we all kind of want right. to do, yeah. anyways. Right. When you put all that away, who doesn't want? I remember when I when I came out, um, and I had a lot of conservative Christian friends in my corner. Well, all my friends were conservative, <laughs> traditional Christians, I should say. Conservative Christians have such baggage. Traditional thinking Christian folks, who I was as well. And I, I, I had my wrestling match with God for a couple of years and really came to a new place. And I received God's release and blessing to just be me. And I knew it. And then I had to start telling people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have slick ways to describe those six verses, right? And a lot of, and you know, a few of them went away and... Um, but most of them stuck around and said, well, you know, I've seen you walk your path and I've seen you love Jesus. So I guess I didn't have this all figured out. Let's talk about this. And we leaned into it together. But a lot of them, I remember my friend Heather Lynn even saying this because she was more traditional and then she got to know my story. And she's like, I like this better. Like I wanted to believe that I could just love people, but I've been saddled with this other job description that I really never believed in anyways. It was very liberating for a lot of my friends. And what an amazing gift from God that he's Mm -hmm. taken that from us and he's giving us the ability to truly live in the here and now and be his his hands and his voice Mm -hmm. to the community. And it's it's amazing when you think about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. You know, one of the moments that was um, really pivotal for me in shifting how I thought about some of this stuff was actually studying scripture. Um, You know, Alan and I have similar backgrounds growing up uh, Southern Baptist and and feeling the need to to do, uh, you know, a lot of that sort of witnessing and and, and, uh, helping people get things right, you know, not just on accepting Christ, but on all of the pieces of what that means. And um, there's a passage that I had read many times, I'd heard preached on, and I had had never allowed it to sink in. And it's when Jesus is uh, giving the parable of the sheep and the goats. Hmm. And Jesus says, uh, for any listeners who are not familiar with this parable, Jesus is sort of using the, the sheep, sheep and goats as a metaphor for who who is God pleased with, uh, and who is God not pleased with? You know, it's the, there was a song some years ago: "Sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell." You know, <laughs> um, and and in this parable, uh, God is you know the the sheep are are identified. The sheep being the ones that God is pleased with are identified not by whether they're uh, Saved or not, although uh, as a an, an evangelical Christian, I believe that we're saved by faith and not by works, um, and not by whether they got all their theology right, but but rather by how they treated those who were hurting and who were in need. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, "Well, did you did you care for those who were who were sick? Did you visit those who were in prison? Did you feed those who were hungry? Did you clothe those who were naked?" and the sheep are the ones who say, yes, we did those things. And Jesus is like, yeah, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And then to the goats, Jesus says, did you do these things? And they say, well, no. And Jesus says, you know, I, I don't even know who you are. And having grown up very focused on just, you know, well, my job is to make sure everyone gets saved. And then as a subset of that, I need to make sure everyone gets all their theology right. 
when I stopped and I read this passage, I was like, this is odd. I don't know what to make of this because I still believe that, that, you know, we're saved by grace, but this is something very workspace that Jesus is interested in. How do we treat other people and not do we make sure they get all their theology right, but are we caring for them? Presumably many of these people who are in prison or who are sick or who are naked or, you know, who knows, you know, what's going on with them. Presumably many of them, their theology is all wrong. Their lives are all wrong. They're sinning all the time. And Jesus doesn't say, did you do this stuff for all of the most righteous people? Jesus is like, did you do this for the people who were hurting the least of these? Mm -hmm. That, I think, when you have a passage in Scripture where Jesus is saying, here's how I know if you're on my team or not, you have to pay attention to that. Right. And again, I, I, I read that and I... And I think about Sandy bringing people into her home, and I think about other people I know who have stepped outside of their comfort zone to have a conversation with someone that is scary for them to have a conversation with because this person's different, or to um, spend time with somebody, invite them to dinner, or have a difficult conversation, not the kind of difficult conversation where you're trying to like preach at them, but where you're really listening to someone's story that's hard for you to hear. Yes. And I, I hear people doing these things, and I think, boy, that is exactly what Jesus was talking about with those sheep. That's These people may not have their theology all right, but boy, they sure do know how to love like mm -hmm. Jesus. And that is, I think, more than anything else, what we're, what we're called to. Hmm. That's really good stuff, Justin. Thank you. Can you believe we've been talking for a whole hour? <laughs> I just, it was the same as the last episode where like, we're like, I felt like we just got started and here we are. So maybe we'll have to do a few more of those. I'm going to throw at the risk of going. So maybe I'll see if you can give a, a wrap up, but I'm just thinking about our, you know, who may be listening to this, right? It may be an LGBTQ plus individual who's pretty skeptical of Christians in the church and or uh, it may be uh, a Christian uh, individual who's a little more traditional in their thinking, uh, but they're interested. You know, they're interested in more productive ways to think about this, about making things right. Um, any final thoughts or advice you'd have for that person of how to step in that direction? Make the first move. Mm. Make the time to form a personal connection with someone that you don't necessarily understand. Mm -hmm. yep. And just hear him out. Yep. Good. Anything else? Justin, Alan, famous last words? <laughs> <laughs> I think we both have them. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, I'll i just say, um, you know, I think this all sounds, this, this can be, intimidating all of this stuff. Yeah. But I love that. Make the first move. I think that, I think ultimately it is just about reaching out to, to make somebody feel loved and it is okay to not have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't, you, you don't have to be responsible for their salvation. Like Alan said, it is just show people love and let God guide where the rest of that goes. But, but show people love. And don't assume. I mean, don't don't assume. Don't um, don't think you have to be perfect. Uh, you know, whatever side of the aisle you're on, um, whichever person you are, if you're the person walking in who's been hurt, not that you can get rid of that hurt or that anxiety of of wondering whether you're going to be hurt again. Take a deep breath and give whoever it is that you're building that relationship with or starting that conversation with yes. the benefit of the doubt. Right. And, and vice versa, you know, for the person who is going in thinking, I really want to love better than I've loved before. And there's a lot of people out there, but I don't have all the words. You know, my thought is, and my encouragement is just say that up front. I don't know. I don't know the verbiage. I, I don't mm. know what, what to say, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, and I'm sorry I'm going to say it wrong. Yes, but here's why I'm even doing this, and I'm mm -hmm. and I'm right, and I'm here, and I'm here. Yeah, um, and I hope that you will allow me to be here and help me through what I completely mess up 
<laughs> in the first words that I that I speak. And I, I think if we give each other the benefit of the doubt and have a bias for the best, um, then we've we've taken the biggest step of all. Mm-hmm. Love it. Amen. Thanks, Amen. Alan. Thank you. Thank you, my guests. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having the conversation. So good. And thank you for listening out there. And holy cow, making things right podcasts are a wrap. (laughs) A true labor of love by many individuals and whether from all my guests like today or to lots of folks behind the scenes. I hope we've served you well today and helped plant some seeds and cast some vision for what it looks like for you to help make things right. This is your grateful host signing off. Brian Nitzel is an author, speaker, and thought leader. To learn more, visit briannitzel.com or follow him on Instagram at briannitzel. <laughs>